0: And were you also on a yacht,
1: Kate? <laughs> Never been on a yacht before. Yeah.
2: You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win.
3: One day I understand. One day go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did
1: I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, all right. See, don't answer. Now, are, these are rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm Analytics wrong. don't work, work at all. They're just a crap to really some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. Game. Game.
0: He's a baller, he's a playmaker, and a shot baller. In case you didn't know, I got t he shattered the mold and all he does is win. All, all he does is win.
2: Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. I'm Chadwick Matlin, an editor at 538, with me in the room,
0: across this beautiful table.
2: It's Neil Payne, Man. Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Chad. How you feeling, Neil?
0: Feeling good. You know, I'm happy to hear that. Getting ready for uh, even more playoff action. Even though we concluded the college football playoff, there's still uh, Which we'll talk pro about football later on the show. And of course, it's hot takedowns.
2: Geek Squad. Our our the person we go to when we have malware that we need mm-hmm. fixed on our computers. It's Kate Fagan, ESPNW columnist. In her off time, Kate, you had a run in with some with some viruses that you were taking care of before the show. I did. Is everything okay?
1: Uh, thanks to you, Chad. I got my book off of my. Malware laden computer. The biggest, I think the tip I should have been most concerned with was last week when I was waiting in the airport, I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize, and they said that like my computer had been sending things to them, and I really needed to t- stop using my computer.
2: And it was a le- legitimate. I don't pump. know,
1: I mean, why? Well, like I had been having malware with my computer, my computer wasn't working properly, and then I got a phone call from People not of the not in this country, I mean they told me that, saying that like I needed to shut down my computer. How'd they get your number? exactly i don't i didn't stay on the line long enough and they didn't want money
2: they just wanted you to shut down your computer
1: yeah and i did i didn't stay on the line long i just because i was like well maybe this is a form of like malware and it's getting transmitted through my phone to my body which (laughs) will then touch my i got very confused by the whole thing listeners
2: if you have been subject to what sounds like a similar scam if it was a scam perhaps if you if you think that was legit Kentucky. But my book
1: is now safe on my email account. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but the foreign hackers know how to get there, too. All right. On today's show, the Clemson, Clemson Tigers are national champions after a stunning come from behind. I was stunned. I don't know about you guys. I think it's fair to call it a stunning come from the behind. Alabama win. losing it's is fair. stunning. Yeah. Against Alabama. We will discuss just how good Deshaun Watson was and what this means about this year about alabama's legacy but in particular where this year's team fits in because neil you've been doing a, a lot of writing about about this year's alabama team and then did obel odell beckham's yacht trip sink the giants last weekend we will make sense of all the hot takes and there are so many about beckham his time in miami i believe
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh whether justin bieber uh sent uh, the giants home too early Justin Bieber is also involved in the story. I love this story. Yeah. Very excited to talk about it. And then finally, hockey. Hockey's back. I always like when we talk hockey. The Me Columbus too. Blue Jackets streak of sixteen consecutive wins ended last week. One short of the NHL record. The Washington Post's Neil Greenberg will join us to discuss what is going so right in Columbus this year. And then finally, after the finally, we're gonna do a little sig dig. Yeah. And our very own Kate Fagan. Is uh is part of it. Very excited about this one too. All right, guys, you ready to talk college football? Let's do it. Yes. All right, we're recording this on Tuesday, and on Monday night, the Clemson Tigers, after being down in the fourth quarter, stormed back to win its first their first national title title since 1981, beating Alabama 35 to 31. It was the kind of game. I don't know how you guys felt watching where. I sort of knew it was going to be close all along alabama just didn 't look like they were that much better even when they were ahead, and it seemed like it kept coming down to the offense for Alabama in particular, and that special teams didn 't really factor in uh, in the way that they they had in in uh, games leading up to this one but uh, it just you, you had a you had an offense in, on Clemson's side that beat the best asset that we talked about last week of alabama 's which was their defense. And a Clemson defense that we also said was very good and an Alabama offense that couldn't measure up. And so when we were talking last week, we talked about how, you know, is it good or bad to have a a sort of uh, a team of uh, a transcendent half and an okay to good other half versus a well-rounded team. It seemed like last night the well-rounded team came out and won.
1: I almost feel like we could play one of our own opinions or discussions of this game from last week as like our hot take for this week. (laughs) Because we did (laughs) discuss that. I think watching what I was somewhat confused about and I'd be interesting interested to hear from Neil whether the numbers back this up if I'm psychoanalyzing Alabama it felt watching their offense as if they didn't want to just run the ball as if they wanted to like, prove that they could be,
2: even b- even before uh, the running back
1: got hurt and even before then it seemed like Alabama so if we're talking about Alabama being not a balanced team in terms of how amazing its defense is. Well, one thing the offense had going forward is that it did play to its strengths in that it had a strong running, rushing game, and it wasn't afraid even in this day and age when, like, you're not supposed to ru- run more than you pass. It wasn't afraid to lean on their, their running game. But it seems like lately, especially last night, all of a sudden if you have – A side of the ball that you're not as strong on, and on top of that, you seem to want to be doing the thing you're not as good at within the half of the ball that you're not as good at. Say that one more time for me. So it seems as if – I I couldn't (laughs) actually – I hope our listeners could follow that logic. So I'm watching. I'm thinking, Okay, well, if you guys are already – inferior on that half of the ball. At least play to your strengths, let me put it mm-hmm. more simply. And, and Which they is were. the running
2: in, in, in Alabama. It's Which is with, running. With, with and they're passing
1: the ball more. And it's like it's kind of like when I was a hooper, and I think I've made this bef- analogy before, Like even though I knew I should shoot three-pointers and do the things I was good at, I always wanted to drive to the hoop because I didn't want to play into the the box.
2: And real quick before, before Neil jumps in, one of the interesting things about Alabama's offense last night was how – quick their drives were and how short their possessions were and so never
1: good being a Giants fan I know this
2: (laughs) but and and this I think it's at your point about about rushing more so so and their defense was on the field for something like 90 something plays if if I remember seeing some stat correctly and that's because their offense of the tides 17 drives 15 of those drives lasted two minutes or less which is radical, you know, and it's amazing. I mean, part of, partly it's that when they scored, they scored super quickly. Mm-hmm. But it's also that they didn't have these kind of drives that bleed that the clock and are usually driven by the run game. Neil, is that fair to say that like – and they were doing dinky passes that can maybe lead to that kind of thing. But, but still, you would think the run is how you do – Especially when Clemson
1: possession. is – sorry, I know Neil wants to talk you too. Especially when Clemson is better at defending the pass than the run. And you're then doing the thing you're less good at, and the thing they're better at in passing the ball. Like I was just confused by Alabama's offensive game plan.
0: Yeah, uh, you know Alabama ran the ball for 221 yards, even despite the fact that they were kind of getting away from it. They averaged six and a half yards per attempt, and yet they still threw the ball just about as many times as they ran the ball after during the season. They were they ran the ball more than they threw it. And s- some of that is a function of also you would expect them to run the ball more, right? Because they were leading by 10 points going into the fourth quarter. Now, I don't know how much of that was Bo Scarborough not being available. He was responsible for many of those yards and was kind of powering the team to the success that they had up to that point where it seemed like it was, was going to be another one of those Alabama games where it's like, like, Okay, you know it seems like it's still in reach. We talked about this last week too. Of like, you know, they they leave just enough uh, daylight in there where you think the other team might come back, but then the defense is going to clamp down and and they're just not going to be able to to kind of overcome the deficit. I think the stat is that uh, Nick Saban teams were ninety seven and zero when they led by double digits going into the fourth quarter up until last night, uh, and you got to give credit though to Clemson for coming back and especially to Deshaun Watson for shredding what had been talked about by many people, including us, as potentially the best defense in college football history. He really did. It it was a case, it it was reminiscent of Vince Young and people like that from, you know, historically great performances of championship games gone by of just a quarterback putting the team on his back and and having just an all-time great game. And and we should say, too, under the kind of Hard hitting pressure that you know we
2: don't usually sort of talk on the show a lot to to exalt the the sort of physical aspect of, of football, but the kind of hits that Deshaun Watson was taking last night, in particular the one where he went and helicoptered essentially horizontally above yeah. above the the field, were, was the kind of thing that you know in, in the sort of like the primal heart of me watching watching football was like oh this this kid is doing this after being bruised all game long, and that, and that made it particularly impressive for me as, as a fan watching.
0: Right, and I mean, uh, just to kind of underscore the amount of pressure he was under, but also the the workload that he had to carry in the game, he had the ball in his hands and either threw it or ran it 77 times. Uh, Al, uh, Clemson, as a team, had 99 passes plus rushes, so he had more than three quarters of the of the offense just sort of went through him one way or another. A great stat for, for so he's like football. the
1: Russell westbrook of the yeah. college yeah he, he really was i'm wondering neil i don't know if you'll know this number off the top of your head but i remember when the broncos a few weeks ago you know they had an intra locker room skirmish because the offense was failing to stay on the field very much and one of the broncos defenders is talking about how you have to, once a defense is on the field for a certain number of plays that if it goes above that it's wildly less likely that you're going to be able to win the game. I forget what it was exactly in the NFL versus college football, but clearly Alabama – well, not clearly. It seems to me that Alabama far surpassed whatever that number would be given the – the low well, time of possession with is, that, the ball is that about well.
2: fatigue or is it just also a, a signal that Both. your defense yeah th- Both. there's a lot baked into there
1: yeah there's a lot of, and so i'm not sure exactly what it is for college football versus the nfl where it's like and i don't even know if that's statistics readily available but like your chances of winning plummet after your yeah. like your defense is on the field 80 possessions
2: and yet it still came down to the final drive you know and, and so yeah. that's where you know we talk on the show all the time about whether you know the the end result of a game is truly reflective of of What happened inside of it, and you know, one thing going a different way changes things, but it does. It is interesting that despite all of that, Clemson nearly didn't pull it off,
1: yeah. And despite, I mean, I just just to go back to this point, like I know Clemson won, but it, it, if it did feel a little bit to me that like Alabama just squandered two. So many chances, and gave right. Jalen Hurts
2: doesn't go thirteen for thirty one, but instead goes twenty for thirty one. Yeah,
1: it just it I felt, mean, it, 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 and then, it like policy. some of the some of the strategy felt flawed. And you're like like Alabama Alabama wanted to prove they could win in a slightly different way than they had been winning, and, and maybe I don't know how much of it is Lane Kiffin not being the offensive coordinator, and then questioning you know the offensive game plan. There just seemed, and, and Neil's yeah. over here like desperately looking for <laughs> the defensive play. Number mark. Yeah,
0: or at least looking for uh, trying to confirm whether I had seen studies that talked about whether time of possession actually kind of matters uh, w- when you're playing, if you already control for all of the other things in the mm-hmm. game. And from what I can tell, the studies that have looked at it show that it doesn't really actually add anything to our sort of knowledge of, of who won a game like if you know all the stats from a game like in terms of yardage and conversions on third down and turnovers uh, knowing time of possession doesn't really add to sort of if you had to guess. So oh, which of these two teams won the game if you knew who won but the time Kate's of possession, not time title. possession? She's saying plays but the on the defense on which, is
1: on the field. Yeah, but right, is that, which
0: I think is pretty correlated yeah, with yeah, okay, you know okay. possession time. But I, uh, the research that has been done, especially in college football, is that it's kind of a combination of. Uh, explosiveness so quick scoring you know big plays and efficiency which is the the more kind of grind it out and be able to you know drain the clock when you have to so maybe it's like selective time of possession like you want to be able to have the time of possession work in your favor when you're winning the ball game and that's something that Alabama was kind of the the opposite of in the game last night was that they scored quickly even though they held the lead for for most of the game or, or you know, had had kind of control of the game from a win probability standpoint, they were not sort of controlling the clock in a manner that would help them sort of leverage that into actually winning the game uh, when they needed to kind of close out Clemson. So maybe that's the biggest thing. I don't know what fatigue uh, plays uh, or if I've seen research on that, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of thing, makes it sound a little bit like when you mentioned the threshold of plays that it was over. It made me think instantly of uh, the famous Pedro Martinez stat where like if he threw over hundred pitches in an outing, his, his effectiveness dropped off drastically. It wouldn't surprise me if defenses had a similar thing where just because of the sheer fatigue, being on the field for a certain number of plays caused you to have breakdowns once you were on too many times.
1: What was the time of p- possession last night? Because it, it would seem like you're, you're right. Alabama, maybe there's some quick there's quick hit scores, but then you would think at the end of the game, it balances out if you are able to run some clock.
0: Yeah, so Clemson had the ball for about 35 minutes. And Alabama had it for about twenty-five minutes. Okay. Hmm. And I would imagine that that's actually kind of out of character for an Alabama game right. relative to all of their other games this season. And
2: yeah, Alabama this season uh, uh, controlled the ball on an average for an average of thirty-one, 31 minutes, uh, and Clemson was a bit lower with thirty uh, high thirties essentially. So, real quick, we've spoken a lot, I think, on the show and, and definitely on the site about. Uh, Alabama maybe being the best team of all time. Neil, you sort of looked at our ELO models that that sort of factor into that. So much for that. Well, no, I'm just curious, you know, how does last night's loss shape what the models say, but also what, you know, what you think, Neil, since you've been writing about this so often, you know, did you see something last night that invalidated what you had – uh, been led to believe based on the numbers and also the, the, the gaze
0: yeah my uh, the gaze test with uh, Alabama is always so interesting because of the again going back to what we've talked about where they do seem like a team that is more dominant on paper and in terms of their you know the wins that pile up uh, under, under Nick Saban's watch than just sitting down and watching an Alabama game and may, some of that is like Sometimes they win ugly, and sometimes also they just win in this very kind of brutal, dominating way that maybe doesn't uh, translate as well to something like the eye test. As far as the ELO ratings go... They have the highest peak rating. That's what we talked about when we talked about it last, which was just, you know, when a team is at their best or, you know, playing their best, how do they rate compared to other teams throughout history? And the, Alabama hit their peak uh, uh, technically after the win over Washington, but they had already kind of broken the record uh, after the SEC championship game. Now they've dropped down a bit. They're still, uh, interestingly enough, the number one ranked team in kind of the final ELO ratings of the 2016 season so clemson got closer uh uh, you know relatively close to them but this seems to imply and i'd be interested in what vegas would say but i think they'd probably be a little bit in line with this too that alabama would probably still be about a field goals favorite if these two teams played again on a neutral field and uh another note on that is that if you look at the sort of I love when these things come out the day after a championship, whether it's after the world series, after the um, college football playoff, these sort of like next year's way too early favorites for the championship. Alabama um, was number one in that, uh, according to, I think the Westgate casino and, and, Those are always very interesting to me. I feel like maybe I've become more attuned to it, but also with some of the upsets that we've seen, for instance, with the Golden State Warriors going down in the NBA Finals, things like that, that you're seeing a lot of these, like, team loses the championship and then instantly is crowned sort of the favorite for the next championship it's it's a, it's a very backhanded uh, compliment to a team that loses in the championship but it also reflects maybe that you know the acknowledgement that when two teams play uh, the winner is decided by both skill and luck and just circumstance and, and fortune uh, in, in that manner and so you know you can have the best team lose and still be the best team and and uh, I still think Alabama probably is the better team, but if Deshaun Watson plays the way he did last night, it's it's tough to argue to the contrary.
1: You mentioned early in that answer that about Alabama, its peak elo being the highest all time college football elo. I'm wondering, without looking at up, I'm just your general your gaze on this, <laughs> I guess I would assume that most peak elos across sports would necessarily not not necessarily be a team that won the title at the end. Like peak elo ever maybe not title-winning team.
0: Uh, interestingly, so I would say the majority of the cases are actually the champion after they've won the championship just because, by definition, when you win the championship, you'll have beaten another really
2: so good team. So it's
1: unusual that Alabama's that, established this peak college football ever ELO not in a championship exactly, game. Exactly. Very okay. unusual. Cool. Excellent. Let's leave it there. Talk
2: about the other football. Soccer? Okay, on to football. And really, just on to... Odell Beckham Jr. We could talk about how last weekend's football slate was one of the worst ever according to Neal's fancy stats, or we can just talk about what America wants to talk about Mm -hmm. and what Skip Bayless has talked about.
3: You can't do what Odell as the leader of this team is the face of the franchise, the best player on the field. You can't do what he did because you can't take what I started calling a yacht club of receivers straight from Washington on Sunday night down to Miami for an entire night of clubbing followed by an entire morning of basking in the Miami sun on a yacht. This was not a bye week. This was a regular week, and this was no way to prepare for a playoff game in single-digit temperatures at Lambeau Field.
1: So if you're playing in Green Bay, you should spend the rest of the week sort of sleeping outside in the cold or just Get like
0: – Get that tent ready. That's what I'm getting out of yes. this. you should,
1: And don't wear Mush gloves. Mush those Huskies. Just – Actually, be freezing Duty, the whole entire week, saying. so that by the time you get to the game itself, you're like, "Oh, this is fine." It feels
2: normal. Yeah. So to recap, after the Giants win against Washington Week 17, Odell Beckham Jr. and some of the other Giants receivers, they go down to Miami. They have it off until Tuesday, according
1: Wednesday, I think. Wednesday even. Oh,
2: so they get a yacht. They're on a yacht. They're they're photographed mostly shirtless on a yacht in that Miami sun, that warm Mm -hmm. Miami sun, Mm -hmm. basking in it even. Then, later that night, I believe the same day, they're photographed at a club. And who's at that club? Justin Bieber's at that club. He's at most clubs. And is Justin Bieber a role model for preparation and the ability to go out in sub-freezing weather and be a man out there on the field? The
1: truth is we probably don't have much data on whether or not he is a role model in that. I want to see
2: Justin Bieber splits on his concerts. How on yeah, key was he?
1: Well, The ones that are outdoors.
2: After all of that lounging in the sun, after all those yacht parties, as Skip Bayless has wanted to call them, Odell Beckham Jr. and the Giants played the Green Bay Packers. And Odell Beckham Jr. caught four of the 11 targets that were sent his way. Do Are targets sent someone's way? The times he was targeted. Well, targeted four of his 11 concise. targets. 28 yards. No scores. The longest catch was 11 yards. This coming from a guy who during the regular season, 101 receptions, 1,367 yards, and 10 touchdowns. The New York Times did this great little interactive thing that showed how good he is after the catch and yards after the catch. If you're long as 11 yards, you're not doing well after the catch. Odell Beckham Jr., his regular season stats, or his games during the regular season, this uh, we're much better. This last week was his second lowest receiving yardage total in a game this season. So here we have a correlation. We have a man lounging in the sun and we have a man playing very poorly. Why should I not think that those two things are connected as Skip Bayless
0: suggested? I mean, come on. Well, uh, just just uh, the the one response to that is just, come on, man. Like,
3: it,
0: you it knew that this was to going to be uh, a talking point. A I'll, give I'll, I'll give them that come much. I'll give them that much. Come on, man. That you, that you knew if you were Odell Beckham and uh, his fellow members of the Giants that – if you're going to do this and have the picture taken that you needed to win the ball ballgame uh, or there would be a shitstorm of controversy. Can I say that? Yes. Uh, raining down on you. But I would like to say, why would we think it would matter? What does it matter what anyone does on an off day before a playoff game? We don't know what other people are doing that. We just happen to know what people were doing in this particular case because they took a picture of it and sent it out but the, there's there's no evidence that uh players who have had great games didn't stay out late partying or you know d- maybe not get photographed on a yacht uh in a very uh easily crying Jordan photoshopable uh, format to put uh, over their faces later after they lose. But all I'm saying is that Beckham played badly uh, in the game and there's no denying that. And I don't think anyone would kind of uh, have have any conclusion other than that about his play. But there's no reason so- to think that the Yacht Club thing had anything to do with it. And I, to be honest, what- I feel like we are just uh, as the media, either you split into camps, right? There's going to be a camp that reflexively blames him for it just because it happened even though they know in their heart of hearts that it had nothing to do with his performance and then there's going to be another half of the media that uh reflexively defends him even to the point of maybe trying to paper over or cover up for the fact that he did play badly in the game and it's really ignoring so, all of the other things that did actually have an effect real, like how green bay played on defense so and, real quick yeah i will say the the the
2: vanguard of like sports stats is that you have to track players' sleep patterns, and you have to sort of know what their and, and their nutrition habits, right, and know the what Chip they're Keller doing at all approach. times of the day. Right. So if you subscribe to that worldview, then a player going out and maybe not sleeping and and, and drinking, perhaps I don't know. I'm Spending not
1: 25 percent of the week leading up to a game. Yeah, perhaps then,
2: perha- then perhaps it has an effect now, but we don't five know. Five days, Chad. Down, we absolutely don't know. I totally agree. I don't think it's without reason to think that something that you do has some effect on something that comes later. Now, there is a five-day gap, even if you push it to Wednesday, between his partying and Sunday. And what I'm trying to understand is like – that's a pretty convenient narrative to, to tack on to something that happened five days. It's, it's a pretty convenient cause to tack on to something that happened five days after.
1: I just want to understand how unlucky Odell Beckham was this week because having been photographed in Miami, and as you as you rightly suggest, Neil, we don't know would it would we have felt better if he was partying in Manhattan? Right? Would, would we we don't actually know what the other thirty receivers who are in the playoffs were doing? There's there's no data on that. So, but how unlucky was he given? how frequently he plays well, how frequently he catches pretty much most balls thrown his way. Because we can say that, you know, Green Bay, and they certainly did at times, like even double teaming as if it was like a punt or a kickoff. Right, for instance, he faced
0: more nickel and dime coverages against the uh, the Packers last week than he did during the season.
1: Sure, but I mean, I also can remember the visual... Of him dropping the third down ball in the first quarter with no defenders around him, dropping a very difficult touchdown pass with no defenders around him, dropping a very difficult catch, but one he normally makes in the second half that was a little bit high, no defenders around him. So I guess I'm asking, I'm not one of the correlation, like, okay, his partying led to a bad performance. I think he should be smarter knowing that it would lead to the discussion, but that's neither here nor there. I want to know how unlucky he was that week. Like how, what percentage chances are that Odell Beckham Jr. has fewer than 30 yards? You know, like,
0: right, well, I mean, you can just look at the number of games he's played in his career, and uh, it, it was tied for the third fewest yards that he had in his 44 career games. So the odds of him just – if you pick an Odell Beckham game out of a hat and look at how many yards he had in that, the odds of picking one that had 28 or fewer yards are low. Uh, okay, so
1: I'm somehow reminded of Serial here because at the end of – The Cereal, podcast yes, or, okay. because at the end of Serial, they're like laying out theories – and like one of the other producers is like, okay, let's just lay out how unlucky Adnan has to be that he, you know, dropped off his car at that certain time. He got pinged on the cell phone tower. He's either unlucky or he did commit this crime. I guess I'm, I'm relating it in that, okay, Odell went to Miami. Was partying and then has one of his poorest performances. Like he just, right, but it wasn't. It he?
0: wasn't his very poorest performance. No one was questioning what he was doing the week before. He had 23 yards on October third in a loss against the Vikings. We should also note too that it's not as though he was running his routes poorly. He dropped the
2: passes. So it, to me, it, there wasn't necessarily lethargy across his game. And this, I think, feeds into the unlucky point, which right. is I'm not. I'm not sure how. Being on a yacht and drinking and going to Miami means that you drop that, – that something that hits your hands is not clutched by your hands. I, think, like that.
1: We, I think we need to differentiate between – I think him partying in – and I don't think this, by the way. Him partying <laughs> in Miami leads to a poor athletic performance. Partying in Miami and taking pictures of it leads to the introduction of mm-hmm. questions in a storyline that you have to answer all week, which no matter, no matter how superhuman of an athlete you are, will then be a part of your mind going into the game. And then the first time you drop a pass, I'm not suggesting you're thinking of it as you're playing the game, you're like, oh, man, am I feeding into this BS bullshit storyline? And now all of a sudden I've dropped this pass that I never drop. This is going to continue feeding the storyline. These are all variables that he introduced.
0: Sure. I mean, uh, of course – like I said before, you knew that if you were Odell Beckham and you had these pictures taken and went to Miami and all of this, that it was going to be blown out of proportion, especially if you lost the football game. That was something that it's like an you un- drop
1: passes like, and played as poorly right, as like you've an ever unforced
0: played. error in in tennis or something where you know you're kind of you did this of your own volition and kind of increased the odds that you would be criticized. Uh, but. Again, like, it's an 11-target sample. I'm not saying that it it was, you know, that an 11-target sample that we would expect Odell Beckham to have this kind of performance on average or something like that, or that there would be a great chance of it. But I'm saying that there's a decent chance that in any given 11 targets, that Odell Beckham might not have the greatest so, game and, and might drop one.
1: And I did read, and I'm not sure, I don't remember where I read it, that... In his career, Odell Beckham Jr. has played, you know, X number, I don't remember what the name is, games below 41 degrees, and his drop numbers increase. It was basically suggesting that, The variable that was at play was not a trip to Miami for O'Dell Beckham Jr., but the variable at play was cold temperatures that he has not yet necessarily become accustomed to playing well in. But
0: that's two games that, uh, according to at least Stats and Info, that he's played uh, in temperatures of 40 degrees or below. And I should say that whenever they've
2: looked at research— He's only played two games
1: in his NFL career with with 40 degrees or below. Correct,
0: according to— He
1: hasn't
2: been around that long. I I think we forget that— Odell Beckham Jr. I know. Is not, I guess
1: I just think you play a couple games a year yeah, right. that are below 40. Especially when you play case. in New York. It's, so, it's more of a social political discussion, can, global can warming.
2: I, can I ask a, a broader question, which is – so Odell Beckham Jr. says there was nothing that could connect seven days ago to today. So he's denying obviously that, that there, there was an effect. Neil, if you wanted to build the conditions in which you could actually evaluate how a player's behavior seven days prior – Affected, or you know, the, the the night after the last game affected his performance or her performance in other sports. The next game, let's just stick to football at this point. What would you need? What what you you would need to know how they did the, the season average? What else, Kate and and Neil? You need to know what they did that night.
0: How late they did it. Yeah, I mean, sleep, I think, would be a really big... Sleep and nutrition. Yeah,
1: so you need need a
2: personal fit tracker kind of thing. Because, I mean, I I think Tom
1: Haberstroh in the NBA has done pieces on teams that have to take, you know, the most miles. Right. Mm. Utah,
0: I think, uh, and and Denver are kind of in this no-man's land of flight patterns. Right,
1: flying two and a half hours west and two and a half hours east, and how that grind at the end of a season actually does affect performance. So... That would have to be one variable.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it's so. It's a long
1: flight home from Miami. You know, two twenty, I think.
0: And, and not that I've clocked it before. Not that
1: I've ever taken that flight, or did I look it up <laughs> on a last. Sunday we...
0: night and stay till Wednesday? Uh, yeah, I Never mean, I think it town. goes back to what you were saying chat about, you know, trying to track all of this biomechanical data about players, which coaches do also do. I remember Chip Kelly was maniacal about this, especially when he was at Oregon and, and could kind of hook up these college athletes that didn't necessarily have a collective bargaining agreement to all of the kind of tracking mechanisms. There's no doubt that that is an area that you can measure. I'm saying that for our purposes, I'm not sure, you know, that that it would really have that much of an effect in addition to all of the other variables at play, but I could be wrong. And that's where that kind of research would come into play, but you would need to record it on all of your players all the time. You'd need to actually maybe violate some of their privacy rights or get them to sign them off, uh, in order to track some of the stuff, uh, about their, you know, patterns of eating and sleeping and various other things. And so I just think that the databases have not been built up and certainly they haven't been made public. And it's probably not even legal to make them public uh, for us to make an assessment about Beckham in particular uh, in, in this case.
1: One more small point. When I was playing hoops, or when anyone was like running or playing in high school, remember you'd have the spaghetti dinner the night before?
0: Carb loading? Yeah,
1: because you were like, the night before dinner is really going to affect your, you know, the way you play the next day. Then come to find out when I was in college, they were like, it's actually the meal the night before, the night before, because that's the one you're playing on. You're not actually playing on the pasta the night before. So I'm just saying, when will we learn that maybe it's the night before, the night before, the night before, the night before that you're actually playing on and is infecting your system?
0: Okay. And so stay off those yachts
2: five days before. Exactly. All right. Let's, uh, let's leave it there. Listeners, if you have a yacht that you want to take us on, and then we can record the podcast five days later and we'll let you know. And you can let us know how Ooh, our performance is. subpar performance. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Our gaze is down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now on to hockey where we are here to talk about streaks, winning streaks in particular. And to do that, we have brought on Neil Greenberg of The Washington Post to join us. Neil, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me. Good to be back.
2: All right. So, Neil, Neil Greenberg, that is. Neil, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets won 16 games in a row, one short of the NHL record set by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the. 90s, I think Neil Payne's perhaps favorite team ever, because he's talked to me about the Pittsburgh Fundament. That's right. We were going to do a story on that, and you said
0: it's not a a real traffic I said it's not relevant, and look at it now,
2: Neil. So relevant. Um, But the point being, Neil Greenberg, that they won 16 games in a row after sort of being middling last year. I think they finished a bit below 500 with maybe I think it was the second worst record in the East or something like that.
3: They were terrible. They finished last in the Metro division. They were awful. So Neil Greenberg, yep. what, what changed? What happened? What's going right in Columbus? <laughs> the goaltending got better. I mean, that's, that's I, I, I hate to reduce it to something as simple as that, but Anytime you have uh, an active streak like that, anytime you see a, a, a team go on a tear, you can usually look at the goaltending as one of the reasons why. I mean, you look at Bob Roski last year. He had a, uh, save percentage of 908, which was his lowest since the 2011-2012 season. During the streak, he was at 941 um, this season, he's, he overall is at 9.31. Typically, we see an average save percentage of about 9.18. So he was playing absolutely out of his mind. Now you got to give credit to the skaters, right? I mean, they 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 have some guys that can score. Cam Atkinson is uh, sixth in goals with 19. Um, Alexander Wenberg is uh, in the top 10 for assists. Uh, Nick Fol- Foligno, uh, the captain, is in the top 20 for points. So I mean, they they do have skaters that can score, but you know, look this is definitely a herculean effort in net and um you know John Tortorella even said as much before the the Washington game during his pregame press conference he he even admitted he said you can't have a streak like this without tremendous goaltending and um you know that's really the the long and short of it bob Roski just played absolutely out of his mind during that streak
0: but Neil, is there something too? Also, the fact that things like their possession stats—we talked about this in the past—that you know things like Corsi are more of a predictor of of how well you're actually playing and kind of filtering out luck. That they've actually improved quite a bit in in that department too. Is there something that they did uh, in in that area or brought in people that maybe improved that and, and suggest that it is actually kind of a real turnaround for them?
3: I mean, it, it's not to say that it's not a real turnaround because they're, they're number one in the Metro. As I said earlier, they were, they were the worst team in the Metro division last year. They were supposed to be good last year. They weren't, they weren't supposed to be that bad. They were supposed to be one of these hockey teams that maybe not were cup level on the, the same plane as like Montreal, uh, Pittsburgh, and Washington. But they, they were supposed to be... A team that no one wanted to play and could surprise in the East, and instead everything just fell apart. And my my guess is that when you have a young team like Columbus and you have uh, a coach like Tortorella, who's very in your face, matter of fact, that there had to be some sort of of blend between the the team maturing, maybe everyone getting used to one another, Tortorella perhaps trying a different tact. With his with his young squad to to get them going, um, but I I don't I wouldn't say that there's been like a this big fundamental change. I mean it's it's pretty clear that the goaltending has improved dramatically. I mean Bobrovsky went from being a below average goaltender to probably the second choice for the Vesna Trophy, which is awarded to the best goaltender of the season behind Devin Dubnik. So it's it's really just a when when you get good goaltending. It allows you to, to play with the lead, and you can dictate what you want to do. And it really put John, um, John Tortorella in a spot where he could free himself up in, in terms of coaching, being able to, to play, not always have to play catch-up all the time. And,
1: you know, how much correlation is there actually between these long winning streaks in hockey and postseason success? I mean, if it's pinpointed as – I just heard you mention, in large part, to goalkeeping, then I would think that there would be correlation between the like longest win streak in the NHL, if if a lot of them are defined by goalkeeping and actually winning in the postseason. Do you under, is there a correlation there?
3: I, no, and, and that's because a lot has to go right to go into a 16-game win streak. I mean, you talked about it at the top. We haven't seen this long of a win streak since the early 90s. I mean, it's been a long time and you do need a lot of things to go right you need a lot of good fortune typically um, we don't see that type of 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 for lack of a better term luck carry over to the to the playoffs because you're you're playing a much higher level of competition, right? Not to take anything away from Columbus during the streak, but in the playoffs, they're going to be playing teams like Montreal, the Rangers, and the Capitals and the Penguins. They're not going to be playing against some of the other teams that might not be as good. So I'm not sure that I would I would bet on postseason success simply because of a of a of a of a long winning streak. Instead, I would look at some look at some of the factors that we know indicate a true. Right, um, Cup caliber team, and that's the puck possession numbers. Like Corsi, after you adjust for score effects and the the arena played. And right now, over the past, I would say, I think it's um, seven out of the ten last Cup winners have ranked in the top three for that metric. And right now, that's uh, that would be Boston Bruins, Los Angeles Kings, and the Washington Capitals. With Montreal uh, Canadiens very close behind, the Capitals in the number four spot.
0: Now, Neil, uh, to go back to that streak for a second, uh, one question that I had was not only have we seen Columbus have the streak, but also Minnesota had a really long streak. In fact, their streak got ended uh, in the midst of Columbus's streak. We also saw Philly go on, I think it was a 10 game streak in the week maybe before the long streak kind of built up for Minnesota and Columbus. Uh, Montreal had an eight gamer to start the season. Uh, This is a strange confluence of events, right? There's a lot of streaks happening this season. Do you think? Think there's a reason for all of these winning streaks, uh, or, or is it just kind of the noise that happens in a sport where kind of pucks can bounce this way and, and the other way?
3: Well, I mean, let's look at it. So, you, you spoke about Minnesota Wild, right? Devin Dubnick leads the league in, in save percentage at 9.39. Bob Roski is tied for third. You know, Carey Price is fourth. Um, and you know Matthew Murray is up there. I mean, I, I guess Philadelphia is probably an outlier in terms of having uh, a really strong goaltending. But you know, you look at the you look at the goaltending leaders, and a lot of the the net miners for those teams are on the leaderboard. Um, you know, again, not to not to simplify the game of hockey in in such a crude manner, but. Goaltending has become a much larger part of it, right? I mean, the offense has opened up. We're seeing more scoring than we have in recent years, and the the the, the star level, right? The, the the ability level of these players is higher. They're younger. They're faster. Um, they're generating more shots per per game as a whole. We're seeing you know the, this this fantastic rookie crop come in, and 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 um, you know Connor McDavid leaving the second year stars. So I I do think that the the streaks are based on getting much better goaltending, you know, during the season, um, and that's that's certainly the the case in Minnesota and Columbus. And you know, like I said, if you look at the the win streaks of of some of those other other squads that you mentioned, I I, I would bet dollars to donuts that the that the goaltending is somewhere north of you know nine thirty. Um, ninety-three percent in a in, in a league where the league average is closer to ninety-one point eight percent. I mean, that's a that's a big deal.
0: So then, is there maybe like more of a, a gap between the best and worst goaltenders, or maybe the best ones are able to show themselves to be better and kind of have their talent emerge uh, in recent years?
3: Um, I definitely think goaltending is getting better. I also think defenses are getting a little bit better. I mean, you know, the NHL is light years behind some of the other pro sports in terms of analytics, but there's been significant inroads made in shot quality, but also in in how shots are created, specifically carrying the puck into the zone versus dumping it in. And, and I think you're seeing more of a concerted effort uh, for teams to, to, to carry the puck in when they can. Um, you know that 's obviously generating more that 's obviously generating more quality shots, but also just technology as a whole right it 's much easier now to to look at film and and get a sense of of where teams like to set up and and their tendencies and and that helps a goaltender probably more so now than it has ever before so my guess is the the the, the scouting the opposition has gotten better. And um, you know, there's, there's probably some rule changes here and there that have also played into it. But by and large, goaltending has been goaltending has been on the rise in terms of talent, so that's that's helped. And also, there are fewer power plays per game. Um, that that's been on the decline for a couple of years, so there's less opportunities with the man advantage, which means more time at even strength, which makes it a little bit more difficult to score goals as well. All right,
2: Neil, we have to leave it there, but thanks so much for coming on and, and talking hockey. Always, always a pleasure and edifying to hear you talk thanks. about something that I know so little about. <laughs>
3: <laughs> thanks again. I appreciate you having me on.
2: All right, great. Thanks, Neil. And now time for our significant digit, when a telling number from the world of sports is brought to us on a silver platter. This week, I am bringing the, dig- the digit, and our significant digit is 49. That's the number of consecutive free throws... That Lexi Brown, a Duke women's guard, has hit in a row. Mm-hmm. This was brought to Hot Takedown's attention.
1: Yep. And my and attention.
2: And Kate Fagan's attention because of a tweet that Duke, that Duke women's basketball sent out. Uh, I believe it was last week now. Yep. Uh, let me just read it to you. The free throw streak by Lexi Brown is at 45, which is a new ACC women's basketball record, Past Kate Fagan yeah. 3 on Monday. Kate Fagan 3 is our very own...
1: Yeah.
2: Kate Fagan, Kate
1: – She passed me un- en route right. to the overall NCAA, you had, just to be clear. You
2: didn't play in the ACC. You played in the Big 12. Right. So you had the Big 12 record. I had the Big
1: 12 I, have the, I had the Big 12 record. I was under the impression and you had
2: the national record, but that that'll
1: suffice. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. I would like to point out, and maybe Neil can chime in here, that my record – and I can speak like this because at this point it was 13 years ago, so it was like someone else was doing it and it's not bragging. My record was <laughs> impressive, as is Lexi's as well, because I wasn't shooting like twelve free throws a game. I was shooting two to three to four, and so I had to maintain that over the course of like twenty games. So I feel like you can pile up a, a streak pretty quickly if you're like. You do, know, you shooting 10 do you think Do you think it's harder
2: to make free throws? To make free throw after free throw when there's a big gap between games. So, for example, if you were shooting 12 a game, right? do you think there's any difference between shooting 12 over three games? Do you fatigue when you're free throwing?
1: I don't know if you fatigue, but I think – I guess my point was like this was like a four-month streak for me. I'm not saying it's harder or easier, but it's like I didn't miss a free throw for like – it was probably like 18 games or something. How aware
2: were you as it was happening?
1: I was aware of it. In the final, like, 10 to 15 free throws because I think at some point I, like, passed certain records and our sports information director alerted me to it. And then I knew I had the Big 12 record. But I'm going to tell you the story of how I missed my 45th free throws. Please. And I have this on video. Again, it's not me talking. It's me talking about another person, me, from 13 Retro-brack. years ago. We were playing in the NCAA tournament And we were playing BYU in the first round at home. And I was at 44 free throws and I got fouled doing something. I don't know. And I'm going to the free throw line and I have my little routine, which is like, I only look at the ball. I spin the ball. I put my hand right on the label. I dribble it twice. And then I look up, but like, I don't look up like for a long time. I look up as I'm doing my shooting motion. And as I look up, and start my shooting motion, the net is caught Come on. on the rim in an NCAA Division One game. And, like, you know how File the net— a Play under protest. For, for a shooter, like, the net and the rim and everything, like, it's all part of your rhythm and— the the thing you've done ten thousand times and so i let it go and like this is all playing in my mind the nets the nets how am i gonna and then i miss mm. and you can see in the video did the I net go...
2: like flop down on the uh, because of the rim rattling? Yes. oh god oh
1: and i point at the net and i look at the ref and like and i'm like uh god but like they can't take the free throw back and redo it that's how i missed my 45th wow mm. and so, i was frustrated because like i do you think the I net really gone, did it I really do think it was like a mental hiccup mm-hmm. that you just that I should have been able to overcome. I'm not suggesting that I can't make can't make free throws when the net is caught, but I but seriously, again, this is me talking about performing. Me, I've gone to the gym and made 100 free throws in a row because that's like that's the thing I had to be good at because I'm not fast, I can't jump, like <laughs> I had to be good at this thing. So like at that time, I was like, I could I could get like 60 or 70. Like this streak will never end. I was like in a free throw shooting rhythm, and then that happened. And I was like mother that's my that's our significant digit story for today story. and
0: I really believe that uh, uh, the idea that it's more difficult to do it in sort of like you know over a long stretch but in small bunches instead of all in kind of clumped together in a few games because there's evidence that a lot of things in basketball players play worse when they come off the bench cold uh, versus if they've been in rhythm and then their performance kind of goes up the more that they've been on the floor and then it of course levels off and then fatigue sets in so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised surprised if you know right. free throw shooting what, what is, is the, the same sweet way. spot
2: there's there's a prompt for you neil what's right. the sweet spot of the number of free throws you want to take per game to not get fatigued but to get in free throw
0: yeah that's a good question
2: i would
1: say i would say just six, six would be my guess
2: right. Well. Lexi Brown, when your streak ends, I hope that you will come on hot take down so we can talk to you and let's see if you had a it. similar experience to Kate where like something went off with that with the one that, that broke it. So yeah. let's, let's have we'll, a shoot we'll try and get you on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. Like like with the Dave Letterman like out right? in the, yeah, out yeah, the out street. Right, out yeah, out street. All right, that will do it for this week's show. Thanks to Kate Fagan. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chad. Neil Payne, you are good too. Thanks, Neil. Oh, thanks, Chad. Our podcast producer is Katie. Ferguson, our podcast referee is Jody Aragon, our new podcast intern for, for what Disney calls the spring semester, though it takes place entirely in winter. Our new podcast intern is Kara Chin. Very excited to have Kara with us. We got production assistance from Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada. You can email us at podcasts at 538.com. We would love to hear what you think. Find us on your favorite podcasting app. And, of course, in iTunes as well. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Leave a review and a rating while you're there. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time.